The views and opinions expressed during Eye on the Triangle do not represent WKNC or the student media. Your dial is currently tuned to Eye on the Triangle at WKNC 88.1. Thanks for listening. The story behind a restaurant could be anything about your life. Yeah, the uh, the story behind small businesses, restaurants, I think, or or shops, or any small business, bakeries, anything that has to be where the owner, owners, or family works is goes beyond just uh, strictly business. I mean, some of them are, you know, the one that stay in business for a long time, become traditions, they become cornerstones of, of neighborhoods, they become rituals, they become a routine for a lot of people. And this happened here, but it's not. this is not a unique trait to a small business. This is, I think, a, a trait that's shared by small businesses in general. I never own a large business so I don't I can't talk about you know but I have a feeling it's slightly different because the approach is different it's I think less personal um, and here a small business has to rely I think on personality and it's not a business model you don't go into a business model saying hey I'm gonna put my personality into this business and I will be successful but it's they are linked it's kind of inevitable if you stay in something in, in a place for a long time and you there regularly you work every day it's inevitable that you are you kind of your personality and your business kind of merge into one and an example sometimes i go to uh, i mean I, I go to stores outside of my business right i mean grocery store movie theater restaurants and sometimes i People look at me and uh, look at them and they are like, oh, you are a Sosta guy. So, you know, even like completely outside of Sosta, um, my identity is related to Sosta, which is kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's comforting. It's nice. It's, it's always pleasant thought. Um, as long as they had a good experience with Sosta. <laughs> yeah, as long as they have a smile on their face when they say it. <laughs> exactly. For me sitting here, I saw like a lot of people come in with thermoses and stuff like that. So it's like a part of their everyday routine to come in here. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this is definitely uh, a coffee shop. Is definitely a stop on the route to work, more to work than from work. Like bars, and you know, probably more a stop after work. You know, just to uh, what do you call it? decompress. You know, but I'm more of a stop in the morning on the way to work. Yeah, which kind of justifies the hours that I have. I mean, I've been open 13 years. 
and I've changed the hours to kind of reflect the the needs of the population around me because coffee shop is also very very neighborhood feel it's very convenience based you know you have to be kind of you serve the people that are around you so you know you can adjust the hours to fit what what people want around you or need around you i was with a, a partner a friend of mine who is also in the, uh, the food industry we had become friends um, through the food industry and he's Italian and uh, he's also a big contributor to this place. Uh, we started together, it was just two of us for uh, quite a few years. After he left, it turned out that it's not exactly what he wanted. You know, he was more into a proper restaurant and the money was not enough for him, I think. But for me, it, it was perfect fit for my life. Um, I don't need to dominate the world very content to have something that I go to. People become family, friends. It's become my life. So I, I kind of had a feeling if we were successful, that's what would happen. But I didn't know to what extent it would happen. But I was perfectly happy with that as opposed to treat it as a business and you know make money. Uh, um, we had an offer to sell it for double what we pay for, like within a year. He, he wanted to take the offer and I said no. This is not what I'm looking for. So we had a little bit of a dif divergence of opinion, but it bought our first business. So we learned, you know, we learned from that, but I'm glad I kept it because I mean, I bought him out. I've, I've been working almost every day for the last 13 years here. I mean, except for my vacations, of course, and I'm French, so expect for me to take vacations. <laughs> He had a lot of influence. Um, it's it's become more me, like the decor and uh, the way I run the business. It's much more um, personable than what it was with a partner. You know, you have to be more of a system. But when you you're the only decision maker, you can kind of do whatever you want, really. You kind of do match the decor. Looking at you here, like it looks, you know, it looks uh, you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It actually, uh, it, it's a question that's kind of recurrent. A lot of people ask me, where is this from? I don't understand. You have Israeli couscous and you have French like signs and you have Cuban music and you have Italian prosciutto. Where, where is this from? Like garbanzo beans. And I said, well, it's, it's this, there is no, it's me. It's it. I like that kind of food. I like that kind of music, and I like that kind of decor. I mean, it's completely. This is not a business model inspired place. This is completely out of not even my imagination because I didn't even have to think about it. This is completely me, like you said. That's my personality. The, my it's my it's even my stuff. Like the stuff that's here is my stuff, not that I just bought it, but my stuff when I was a child. It's completely, um, and that's my interest, my, the paintings that I, I bought, I like, and it's my collections of things is completely. Sosta is so much more than a business. It's almost like, it's my second home. Like I never, for the last 13 years, I don't even think I ever said I'm going to work. I said I'm going to Sosta. The first thing that comes in my mind is, Oh, I'm going to Sosta. I'm not going to work. I'm going to work at Sosta, but that's almost irrelevant. You know, I'm just going there. That's the most beautiful thing in the whole in the whole work life. It's like when you don't go to work, you go to wherever you go. 
but it's, it's absolutely not. That doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's glamorous. It doesn't mean sometimes I'm just not upset at something or you know tired or it's very 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 liberating uh, to not have to go to work. <laughs> Even though I've done it for almost every day for 13 years, like I said earlier. Running a restaurant's hard, but do you ever run into any problem customers? It's happened a few times, but it is definitely not a recurring thing. It's not um, a daily thing. And that might have to do also with the approach that I have with it. It's not like it, it is a business in the sense that there is, you know, there's a need to make some money so I can pay everybody and uh, pay myself, pay the suppliers. I mean, to run the business, there is it's inevitable that money is part of it. But this is not the motivation that the primary motivation. It's not about making money. It's so maybe like when I welcome somebody here, it's really uh, I'm I'm actually welcoming them because I'm glad they choose to come here. Man, ov obviously they're gonna purchase something, but I mean it's not like it's I'm not seeing them as oh you know um, here comes ten dollars. So maybe you know maybe it's a bit more relaxed than I don't know. I have very few negative encounters with people very very few there's a different energy here in the space intimate but at the same time i mean you're the owner i didn't have to go through a shift manager an assistant manager to get to you you're right here with everybody yes it's much more personal it's much more direct if you need something if i can do it there's no process to go through it'll be done if i can make it i won't make it but if i can there's no problem it's you ask me the question and i have the answer i mean it's pretty fast what does sosta mean? Oh, fare una sosta means take a break. Fare una sosta in Italian. Uh, the reason I chose an Italian name is because it, it might sound silly, but um, so my ex-partner was, uh, so we were kind of, we were debating for a while between a French name or Italian name or find something in between, you know, some sort of make up a name. But that was my thought. I was like, well, <laughs> here, it seems like, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like that when people think of Italian food, they think that it's inexpensive and it's good. When they think of French food, they always think of like kind of a little snobby and pricey and like, yeah. so I was like, you know, <laughs> this is our first business and <laughs> I'm not so attached to the notion of like being French. Like I said, it's more, it's more me. And even though I'm French, I'm, I mean, I'm also American. I became American last year, so. Uh, Welcome to the club. Well, thank you. <laughs> I don't have necessarily, uh, I mean, that crazy ego about France. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that are great about my country and a lot of things that could be worked on. So I was not necessarily attached to the name. So we chose an Italian name because, like I said, in America, here, people think Amer Italia is good and more familiar-oriented than, than French. So here it goes, Farina Sosta, take a break. <laughs> it also played uh, pretty well with, that was not intended, but it played pretty well with uh, what Sosta has become. Meaning, like I said, it's, it's a different kind of music that you hear when you come here. It's a completely different atmosphere. You picked up on it. It's pretty clear that it's unique the food is even though it's sandwiches is simple but it's it's good 
consistently good it's fresh we use good ingredients i don't skip on food i always give a nice portion and it's always well made it's always made uh, that morning the things that you find you don't find them anywhere else kind of became self almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy you know we're like take a break but you will take a break because you can talk to me for a while you can talk to my employees for a while it's not just you know come in get a sandwich and go or grab grab and go it's it has kind of taken a life by itself on its own this kind of like you take a break from what surrounds me in Raleigh, you take a break from work, you take a break from a mediocre sandwich, you take a break from the sides are just always the same, you take a break from the music, you know, it, it, it does, does it make any sense? Yeah, in a cosmic sort of way, I mean, I usually come up here, like, especially during school, it's not usually open, because it closes at four, and I, you know, would get out at five, but I'd come up here on weekends, and that was, it was funny, it was like my break, I would come out and sit at sidewalk seating, and, you know, always get the, the ginger ale. <laughs> I always get the ginger ale and just sit out there and hang out. Yes, there are some some people that they, they started as customers and they became uh, friends. Sometimes you just stop by, like just to say um, hi, you know, just to chat a little bit. And sometimes I'm not there because I'm running errands for the cafe. And my, when I come back, my employees say, hey, um, John came by. I said, did he need something? So no, he just wanted to say hi. Just He wanted... He wanted us to tell you that he came by, and that is really touching. I'm sitting here thinking, I think for the first time of me doing this, I actually made a mistake. Other business owners, they're going to get the secret. Like, it's not you have to follow a certain rigid set. It's sort of like it's an extension of you. And it's like uh, when, when you have a playlist, like on Spotify now, that they'll do like all the crazy stuff you listen to, they'll make a playlist for that instead of just rock or hip hop or pop like that. And I think that's what this, this restaurant is. Like you said, it's got all kinds of different cultures, but it's what you like. I don't think there is any secret. I mean, the world of, of small business is it's, it's a lot of luck too, you know, timing and luck. And I don't think there's a secret. If there is a secret to anything, to me, that would be to not approach the business as a business like just kind of organically grow something but not because of a particular goal that you have to make so much money or to but just because it is your motivation is to be in your neighborhood with people that that you serve like I, I don't know i mean that's my first business i don't i don't know if i'll have another one i've never really was interested in opening another store like duplicate this even though i think the product would the concept would work very well it would be different because then i can't you know unless you would find like an individual willing to put his heart and soul into it and then it becomes his but i think i'm not in, intrinsically i'm not a businessman I'm interested in having a place where I go every day and I happen to be the same place where I work every day. But the secret is just do a business that is not business focused. And if it's small and if you get lucky, you need luck, I think, like I said, in everything, then you'll work. But you could do something completely non-business oriented and you could not work. Because you know it's wrong timing or wrong time or wrong place or bad luck. Also, there's 
a lot of things. But for me, it's like I don't, like I said, I don't think about it as a, I don't go to work. I go to Sosta. That was not something planned so much. You know, it's not like it was. I mean, I'm learning a lot too as I as I'm doing this. I mean, sometimes I make mistakes uh, or uh, I'm thinking, oh. That was the wrong way to uh, approach that particular person. It's a learning process too. Have you always been in Raleigh? I moved from France to Raleigh, yeah. Raleigh has been my only... Well, I've traveled quite a bit in the US, but Raleigh is the only place where I actually lived in the US, yeah. How's it compared, do you think? I was having a conversation earlier with some customer who I was saying there's very deep differences between Western Europe and the US. Very, very, very deep differences, but they don't appear on the surface because our cities look comparable, businesses look comparable, restaurants, stores, shops, I mean, roads, cars. I mean, the, you can live in, in Western Europe or live in the US. The size might be slightly different here. It's, you know, bigger. You have more space. But visually speaking, the cities and the life seems to be about the same. But there's a big difference. Here, it's, it's much more um, business-oriented. And it's even people are businesses, you know, for the health healthcare industry, even for the food industry. They'll sell you anything as long as they make a profit on it. Education is a business. In France, not so much. Um, and I'm not saying this, saying, you know, France is the, the model. But I'm saying the approach is completely different. It's much more people-oriented, um, protection of employee. It's a completely different approach. And I think both countries could learn from each other, actually. I think there's a great liberty here for business that doesn't exist in, in France. Um, I think a little bit of a balance would be a, a great thing, which is I'm actually trying to... Like in my business here, I'm trying to do things more online with what I would do if I were in France in the sense that um, I pay my employees vacation. I give them days off when they need a day off. They don't clock in. It's very relaxed in that sense. And um, it's also one of the reasons I work all the time because I feel like if I'm going to ask somebody to work all the time, I need to be here working all the time too because it's, it's something a little bit difficult for me to accept like having somebody working for you that concept it's it's great i mean that's what i uh, you say for, about my employees but they, almost they work with me and i i kind of like that better i think it's better for everybody for me and, and yeah i haven't seen you since i've come here sitting back in the back in your office with your feet propped up i do a little bit less of the labor that i used to when it was just two of us running the place so i do take a little bit of I don't do as much as I used to but I, sp I spend all time here and I and, and help out I'm trying to be very aware of what everybody needs I have been very very blessed with my employees too I mean they are they are great they, they work hard they uh, they love being here I think I mean, you can leave always hear laughter and it's it's a great place to be I found this place because I, I don't remember if I googled vegan or vegetarian and then this came up and it brings me back to thinking about it um as much as i have wanted to focus on, on on the quality of food and on like vegan prior to the vegan craze or the vegan trend um because i i thought that it's important to have things for different people that don't necessarily want uh eat you know meat and even though it was before the the push for the movement i, I thought it was important to have some sandwiches that were 
you know, conceived, not just afterthought. Be like, oh, there's a vegan, or, or let's see, oh, okay, we have a portobello mushroom and, and lettuce, right? You know, because I used to be like this, oh, vegan, okay, well, let's see what they have. Let's scrape our, uh, at the bottom of our fridge and see what we can put together for them, right? So the idea was to actually have something that was as solid as something that was not vegan. I, I, I think, w- I'm not vegan, but I think it's important to have a sort of balance in what we eat. And I am more I'm more concerned about like the treatment of animals, for instance. This is something this is I would go vegan if I were to not not necessarily because of dietary restrictions, but mostly because of the the uh, treatment of animals. I I still eat prosciutto and like saucisson and sausages and things like that. But um, I have reduced the amount of food that I, uh, the meat that I eat. But I think um, I'm not saying we should not eat meat, but I think we should treat animals in a better way, even if we end up eating them. I think it's no need to, uh, you know, that's, that that bothered me a little bit. It's more the the treatment than the actual the killing. It's less of a problem than I think than the the mistreatment. Yeah, I think that was like that. Like uh, when I opened 13 years ago, like the the vegan was the same as the non-vegan without the things that make it non-vegan. I'm just you would get the same dish. Oh, you don't uh, no vegans or no cheese for you, but the same dish. There was no there was no thought about trying to actually put some effort and work into feeding people that want that something good and thoughtful not just oh okay i'll take off the cheese exactly you know i mean like 13 years ago we barely would sell any of the vegan food that we have i mean it was like we would make very little of it like two three sandwiches a day maybe it was a good day so we were made really very little. Now we we are uh, we're selling more, and I did didn't do that as an investment either. I was not thinking, oh oh, that's the next thing to come. I was not thinking that. I was just my thought was, well, there are some people. That, I mean, I knew of vegan food because I've been in the food industry all my life. I knew of a vegan food, but I was like, well, if there are vegan food, there are some vegan people. And they need to be treated the same amount of respect that you would treat non-vegan people. So make something good. Check it out. That's what I look for in everything. At my kind of my motto. So there's a story here. And when I talked to you the other day, I knew that was going to be a story. You no, know, I'm 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 glad that we. Uh, I'm I'm actually glad you you came from not just like for the sandwich, but you, you actually were seeking something more than uh, mm-hmm. than food, um, like a relationship or uh, a chat. This is always. Um, a plus, I think. The, um, I mean, I'm I'm glad you like my food. I'm I'm even happier you like me more. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, Thank thanks you for your much. time. Absolutely. Thanks for the coffee, and we'll see you next week. I'm Aaron Kling with Eye of the Triangle, WKNC 88.1 in Raleigh, and I'm currently speaking with... Aaron Murphy. From where I'm standing, I can see a large hunched-over humanoid figure looking at the ground. What is this art piece? <laughs> yes, you can. Um, it's called What's That? It's an inflatable sculpture by an Australian artist. Her name's Amanda Perer. Well, Amanda Perer is a public artist. She has installed this particular set, which are called Fantastic Planet. Um, all over the world, and there's sort of a 
science fiction inspired set of humanoid figures that are meant to be imagined as sort of like like they've just landed here and they're kind of gently exploring the environment and trying to figure out what's going on. So as we're looking at it and going, what is that? They're also sort of looking at us and thinking the same thing. They have kind of um, kind of an infant posture, the way that it's kind of on all fours and, and looking around very, very tentatively. Is that intentional, do you think? I think they have a really nice... Even though they're so large in scale and they're taking up so much space, they're very sort of innocent and kind of curious. Um, and I think that is intentional on her part, as much as I'll speak for her. So this is a really large-scale project. Uh, how was the setup process? It's, it's a lot of pre-production, a lot of emailing and making sure we have all the equipment and everything's ready to go. And then we need a pretty large crew. I think we had seven people on site today at 5 a.m. to help us start inflating, putting ballast into it, making sure that tether points are in the right place. Um, so yeah, it's a process. Who is Arts Flosher for? Um, I think both the art lover and the curious person who just sort of wants to know what's going on in the art world. I think Arts Flosher is definitely offering this beautiful mix of visual art and dance, you know, local artists and vendors, so people can participate in a lot of different ways, you know, in whatever area they're the most interested. Do you appreciate kind of the um, the venue Artsplosure gives for artists to interact with the general public and have anyone from anywhere come on and, and take a look at everything that's uh, on display? Yeah, absolutely. I really, you know, working with Amanda's studio, I really enjoy getting to be a part of public art installations, getting to see people interact with art, with high art particularly, who might not usually get to engage with it. I think something like this just inspires a lot of wonder in people. And for me, as someone putting up the work and managing the work, it's really exciting to see that reaction. How did you come to join your clients' projects as an attaché? Well, I work for Parish Studios, um, and I actually worked for a venue in Nashville, uh, an exhibit of these giant inflatable rabbits that she has. And I just really hit it off with her crew. And they asked if I wanted to travel and install public art with them. And I said, absolutely. That sounds amazing. And you just signed on immediately? Or what was the process? Well, they left me with their card. And I sent an email. And yeah, it was pretty easy. I had a, a Skype interview with Amanda in Tasmania in her studio. And we talked about sort of my work and my background. And I did a trial run for them. And... Now I get to come and do exciting gigs like this uh, around the States right now. What other art installations have you set up? We did one in Nashville, obviously. I did one in Huntsville, another one of Intrude. I actually just got back from Charlotte doing Intrude there, and this is my first time with Fantastic Planet. Okay, and you're going to be sending more of these up around the country? She, she has work all over the world right now. I, she just finished one in Lithuania. I know she's obviously had work all over Australia and some in Asia and... South America, so she's she's gone global. It's definitely an invasion. A lot of our listeners are in college, undecided in their careers, or even if they've left college, they're considering what they can do with their lives, where they can go next. How did you uh, get attached to this project? Where did you go to college? Um, well, actually, I have a painting degree from the Maryland Institute College of Art in Baltimore, which is not really a roadmap for the rest of your life, but a lot of people told me that working in the arts was gonna be very difficult, and it has been, but it's also been incredibly rewarding. And I think if you're willing to learn new skills and be creative about 
how you work and where you work and what your career looks like. It's it's a really fulfilling path. I really like getting to meet people and getting to talk to people about why we make art, why we come together and do these creative projects. I think there's something really, there's a depth to that that was always really attractive to me about art. Like thinking about why we're driven to make things and why we do come together as a group and, and want to put on a festival just for the sake of getting the community together and being together and making a space beautiful or thought-provoking or exciting. I really enjoy that kind of placemaking work. And why do we do all of this? Why do we go to all this trouble? <laughs> well, it's a great question. I'm not sure I've entirely figured it out, but asking it, I feel like I'm like mining for it you know I'm like dropping a bucket into a well and every single time I pull it up I kind of learn something different about other people about myself so you've talked about uh about what's what's been really really rewarding but now for the easy question what's been challenging particularly during all this oh where to begin <laughs> no um I think the hardest part are the timelines you know these are always for big festivals we blocked off the road this morning around 5 and we had to have the entire piece installed for our open at 11. And so bringing everyone together, getting all the equipment together, solving any technical problems that come up, making sure the electrical is run, making sure the interior electrical is run properly and getting it all up on that time frame, that is exciting and also very challenging but it happened and how do you organize so many people it begins at our production warehouse we have an amazing production manager bianca Morrow, who keeps us all on track and we have packets for these we have you know they ship out with you have an engineering map and you have where it needs to be tethered to be safe and you have its load that it needs to have with it and we start emailing and telling the venue what to order and so that's where our explosure comes in and they have sandbags on site for us and they have tarps and they have crew who are amazing and show up at 5 a.m. to install giant inflatable sculptures. Yeah, so Amanda Pear, her studio is based in Tasmania, but she also has a warehouse in Europe and in Boston. It's a lot of coordination on that end too for Amanda to be running this many shows as an artist. Uh, have you been to these studios? I know a lot of the people from doing jobs who work uh, in Boston. And I've had emails back and forth with the people who live and work in Australia, but so far I have not been quite that far afield for Amanda. What do you want to see from the art scene in Raleigh? One of the goals people always put for art is growth. But I also think depth and like in a level of engagement and like pride in the art scene here and in what they can build here and what they've already built here. Pride, can you go into that? Smaller cities sometimes struggle with this idea that they aren't New York or they aren't LA or they aren't an art center. But as the world gets more connected and it's easier to take on projects like, take, you know, hosting an artist from Australia, I think that can be a really exciting opportunity to feature an artist rather than, you know, enter like an already very crowded scene like New York or LA. And I love getting to come to these mid sized cities and see them take advantage of that and really engage with like public art and placemaking. So where some people worry about having their work marginalized in a small city, you see a venue where artists have a chance to stand out from a much larger crowd. Yeah, that's a beautiful way of putting that. I do.
I think that every space and every place has its own really unique voice. And I think it's important, rather than trying to mirror a larger conversation, to sort of tell your city's story. Like, tell that specific story and make a scene that's very specific to the place and to the city. So you see every city having uh, so many people inside of it. Large or small, you get enough people together, you're going to have plenty of stories, plenty of different perspectives, plenty of different opinions, and a lot of those deserve to be shared in an open forum like Artsplosure. You know, it's unique architecture and a unique series of events that built this city and that started Artsplosure, and I think that I get to see that because I take similar exhibitions and I reinstall them in different cities and they have a different narrative or a slightly different take every single time because of the change of scenery. All right, awesome. I think that about does it. Thank you so much, Erin. I'm Erin Kling with Eye on the Triangle at WKNC 88.1. Thank you, Erin. I appreciate it.